Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. Does picking an outfit have you running a little too fashionably late? We get it. Great taste takes time. That's why Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery, has your back with the largest selection of beer, wine, and spirits delivered in under 60 minutes. Convenience never goes out of style. So if you need to spend some extra time in the mirror instead of at the store, download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Hi, this is Johnny Eccles from Love, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcasts. Is there a library of bookstore around here where I could books on rock and roll? Rock and roll. Story's true. Well, you read this one? Read this one. This is a story that needs to be told. These rock and rollers want something to read. Hello, diggers. Welcome to another edition of the Rock and Roll Librarian. Today, we have the special guest of, well, not special. Well, I guess you are special, <laughs> I'm but always... you're not really a guest. No. You are just here all the time. In fact, you are. I'm a partner. You are the Rock and Roll Librarian, Shelly Sorensen. I am. I am. Was that a That's good what they intro? say. Yes. <laughs> no guest. No guest. I am a no. full partner. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's actually, uh, I'm a minor partner. It's a co-host. Really, it's, it's really all about you. It's all about me. Right. Shouldn't it be? <laughs> yeah. Sure, yes. <laughs> Certainly for the next hour or so. Yeah, something has to be. <laughs> yeah. So how are things? How's life? How's I think retirement's coming very quickly for you. It right? is um, apparently at the end of August. Uh-huh. So yes, I'm looking August. forward to that and having more time to do the other fun things that are on my uh, to-do on, list. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, things that I, things that I'm already doing, but I don't have enough time to do. So right. I know people keep going, what are you going to do when you're retired? Are you, you're going to be so bored. No, I'm not. I can't clear my schedule to do all these things. So, yeah. you know, I yeah. got, yeah. I got a yeah. uh, shit to do here you mean like this rock and yeah roll like this yeah. yeah so so we're gonna we're gonna move this up to a weekly show right oh ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, it's hard enough to well, at least at least you can guarantee monthly we have fans out there yeah. that you know desperately oh my ask God. when is the next they're clamoring yes clamoring yeah, that's clamoring good, clamoring yeah yes. oh, haranguing would, they're haranguing uh, i would like to read a mystery once in a while which was my last favorite type of book to read about three years ago oh before you started this adventure okay so yeah well maybe you'll have time to do that so but anyway hey speaking of fans speaking of diggers getting harassed and harangued and uh, clamored the show is going to be presented by uh, one of the diggers who asked you to read a book right that's right okay Um, so i guess first of all what are we what are we talking about today? Who the hell are we talking about today? Well, we're talking about Bruce Dickinson, who is um, uh, the singer for Iron Maiden, mm-hmm. and his autobiography is a charming book called What Does This Button Do? An Autobiography. And um, it was actually suggested to me by a fan named Stephen Rutledge, who heard my my interview with Jesse Jackson on Jesse's Bruce Springsteen podcast called Set Lusting Bruce. Mm-hmm. Now, if you all can follow that, then... <laughs> well, I think he <laughs> became a, long... a Twitter follower of ours, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I believe Jesse and I talked about, you know, your taste in music and 
that kind of thing on his podcast. And well, we I, all know you're a huge metal fan. Yeah, I think I probably dropped that I wasn't a huge metal fan. And this guy, oh, surprise to me, Stephen Rutledge, stop, <laughs> um, suggested this book, and he was spot on. As I would say mm-hmm. in Bruce Dickinson's voice, spot on. Oh, and, are um, we going to do this all no, through the I, whole show? No, I can't. T- I can't keep it up. I'm not a good uh, accents oh, that's person. Too bad. That's too bad. Yeah, but um, yes. So he suggested this book. Um, he thought I would enjoy it because Bruce Dickinson truly is it's an interesting guy. A really interesting guy. He's hysterically funny, and I read quote unquote the book. On audiobooks, so I got to oh, hear. Oh, you got to hear him. Uh, his, yeah, yeah his. Now, no surprise, he did his own. Yeah, and he he like version. deadpan mm-hmm. humor, and I mean he he's perfect uh, reader aloud of his own story, and I really enjoyed it. It was kind of like you know watching a Monty Python movie or something because he has that <laughs> that funny accent, and then all this like crazy, all these crazy stories, mm-hmm. and then all this deadpan humor. And then he gets serious, you know, once in a while. And, and it just was a joy to listen to. So thank you, Stephen Rutledge. All I right. enjoyed the book. Well, let's get into it. Uh, you know, of course, we've got to start with a song. Um, so what do you think? What should we start with? Ooh, probably one of their early favorites to show people... Who the what hell Iron all... Maiden is? That's right. Those <laughs> For of those us. of those of you who are the, those of us who didn't yeah, know, you mean like you? Yeah. <laughs> How about the number of the beast? All right, here it is. The number of the beast. Well, that is definitely uh, heavy metal. Is that metal, Christian? I believe, yes, <laughs> harmonic heavy metal, you know, as they say. Um, I, I understand there are different types of heavy metal. Oh, my I'm God. Not, I am not like, conversant with them. Oh, it's like 31 flavors, uh, Baskin-Robbins. core uh, hair. Uh, yes, there's, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, apple core. Apple, I don't know. Apple core. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Swedish death metal, yeah, black metal, Uh you know, hair metal. The Danish uh, metal would be Abelskiever core. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> All right. You know, you're going to piss off a lot of people here. Oh, uh, just the Danes. No. A, number one. Uh, okay. Let's give a public service announcement here. Um, <laughs> I have a working knowledge of heavy metal. Um, it's never been my favorite genre, although I appreciate it. Uh, certainly, musician wise very top notch uh, there's no two ways about that uh, some of the writing is great and actually to be honest with you i i think iron maiden is one of the the better uh, bands out there. I did get a chance to see them in their heyday in about uh, 1985, 86, somewhere around there. Uh, and they were great. They were amazing. I went kicking and screaming, but uh, I left going, wow, those guys were, were really, really great. Um, <laughs> I believe your knowledge of heavy metal surpasses mine by a great degree. I believe you are a doctorate uh, in, in <laughs> heavy metal now. No? no, but I know somebody who likes heavy metal. 
Oh, so you relied on their knowledge. Uh, I'm sorry. I mean, I don't know if it's kind of more appeals more to males. Is that a possible thing? Oh, it it is filled with testosterone. Yeah. Yeah. So with very uh, limited levels of estrogen allowed in. Um, that's always been the thing, uh, you know, and especially adolescent males, it, it fuels their fantasies. I mean, think of just the lyrically, the imagery, uh, you know, very fantastical type of motifs that are used in the, the writing. Um, it's more of a release for anger than anything. Um, I think it's a good thing. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, I've been to plenty of metal, uh, concerts and uh, it's a lot of fun. It's yeah. it's great and it's harmless. Uh, and you know you get your aggressions out, and uh, you you are with your people. You're yeah. with, you're with your tribe. I mean, you know it's it's fantastic. I see nothing but positive about well, it. Well, you know, um, I had a kind of a double whammy synergism with reading this book. So so this uh, fan Stephen uh, suggested it to me on Twitter. And a day or two later, I went into a meeting and one of my staff, my co-workers, was wearing an Iron Maiden t-shirt. So I was uh, like right in the middle of the meeting. I'm like, Antonio, wait, what do you know about Iron Maiden? I need to know. know. Tell me everything you know. Come into my office. Yeah. And (laughs) Am I in trouble? Yeah, Uh, right. Miss Sorensen, I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, Oh, oh, I won't wear it tomorrow. No, but he... He told me, you know, a a lot of stuff, which is like, oh, they're the, you know, longest uh, living, most popular metal band. And they've, you know, they've sold millions of records. Oh, they're they're still huge, especially in Latin America. Yeah. I mean, they still sell out stadiums. Yeah. But one thing he told me, uh, which was interesting, and he actually used the word, the anthropology of music, which was perfect for this podcast, which he said, you know, when he was a young man, he comes from the Latino community, um, he said he he could have gone down a lot of wrong paths. In fact, a lot of wrong paths were open to him, but metal helped him release his frustration and confusion. And when all of these different paths came up, he just kind of by luck chose the right ones. But But he attributes part of that to kind of being able to get his release from heavy metal. And now he sees that connection to him like he this is his quote metal is like a cheeseburger accessible instantly gratifying hits the spot and is greasy and so <laughs> he, he he just feels like that has a like you said a there's, definite, a, there's a metal song right there that's yeah. <laughs> a definite place in you know in the life of uh, certain you know, people that need that kind of thing. And he felt like that was his response to that music at a certain age. And now, of course, it holds a kind of an emotional place in his heart. And even though he's, you know, in his 40s now, he wants to go see Iron Maiden when they come to the Bay Area. Oh, I would go see Iron Maiden. Like I said, I I had the privilege of seeing them at their peak and uh, I would go see them again. Uh, You know, same with some of the other uh, big acts, um, you know, uh, like Judas Priest, who I've always been a big fan of Judas Priest because I listen to their songs and I realize their the pop sensibilities that even they had even more so than Iron Maiden. And by the way, I, uh, Judas Priest and Iron Maiden uh, back in the day this this was a big rivalry. You know, Ooh. you had, you know you were only allowed to like one uh, or the other, and and you throw in some others. Uh, you know, ACDC is another one that's great. And a lot of people give metal a hard time because it seems childish uh, and there's a lot of comedy. 
uh, and humor done at their expense. Um, most famously, you know, this is Spinal Tap. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think most of these guys and kids, and, and let's face it, it is mostly guys, you know, are in on the joke. It may not have been the case back in its heyday, but they certainly are now. Yeah. And it's fun. It's yeah. great. And, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with being in a, in a pit uh, with a bunch of people that are sharing the same um, you know, excitement and passion that that you are, and it's very easy to get sucked into, and and, and I'm all for it. So yeah, yeah. So all right, well let's let's get started because yeah, yeah. this is really not uh, even a show about Iron Maiden, Iron Maiden or no. heavy metal. It's really about Bruce Dickinson, That's right. right? This is his autobiography, and um, he 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 really is trying to tell a story here, um, and he has amazing, incredible funny and harrowing stories to tell and he's a great storyteller but he doesn't include really much about his personal life so if you're looking for personal life here this is not the book but it is so i no, really no, recommend no, no, the no, book he, for he, almost anybody i just thought it was fascinating yeah so no internal dramas uh you know personality conflicts right. uh, with mom and dad no divorces and the, and no in the, the family uh, yeah and the wives and the kids and uh, all that uh, right. although i believe he is married and uh has several children yeah. uh and so maybe it's uh, about keeping them although i think some of them are famous in their own right or, or metal players uh, mm-hmm. in their own right so all right but it's Cute. not about that it's it's a, no. it's about uh, about bruce so i i would assume it starts at the beginning with uh growing up in the north of england uh he sounds like a northern englander uh, he is yeah he was raised by his grandparents for the first five years of his life in a small coal town called Worksop which is in northern England, while his young parents went off to do some kind of variety show involving poodles. So that was the first. Dogs? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) So he comes from a showbiz family. A showbiz family, though I don't think he was involved in their Were they ever on... And you're, you're the like, X Factor? Poodles, uh, okay. There was no X Factor yeah. in the British. So he okay. lived a... A dog know. show. I mean, you know, there's, that's, that, that was a thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they probably stood on their thing. legs and howled. I, I don't know. Yeah. He didn't... I don't know if he even saw them do the show, but uh-huh. but they were they were a nightclub act, okay. basically. Okay. Right. So, so show business is in his blood. Yeah. That's the point. And, but also, um, interestingly, his godfather, who was an uncle, had been in the Royal Air Force and had fought in the war. So Bruce had a, a really the early... War meaning, the war meaning World War II, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Bruce had a very early fascination with airplanes. Uh, so he, this, was, he was born in 58, yeah, this comes airplanes. Yeah, yes, just about uh, my age. That's a big. That's a big factor. Yeah, uh, and so he he liked life. you know when he was a kid he built model planes. He had a fascination with machinery and steam trains. And let me let me just say spoiler alert. Uh, if you don't know, um, and and again remember this show is a general rock and roll show. Uh, we uh, have listeners of all kinds. Our job at Rock and Roll Archaeology, or now Pantheon Media, but really this is all part of Rock and Roll Archaeology, is, you know, to take the entire story and, uh, you know, give it its due, of which, you know, this this is a part of it. So anyway, spoiler alert, Bruce Dickinson becomes a commercial pilot in the future. So we'll get to that, I'm that's sure, right. but that's why we're talking Yeah, about this that. is okay. a seed. Mm-hmm. This is the seed, the harbinger of mm-hmm. times to come. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so, yeah, when he was about five, his parents took took him on and 
Uh, they lived in Sheffield. His dad owned a, a hotel with a bar, and in at the time uh, hosted, you know, oh, people and bands talent. and stuff like that. So he met his first rock and roll band um, when he was a young a youngster in his dad's bar, and he became fascinated with of course, with rock and roll yeah. and the guitar like and the sounds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He moved to the public school from the town school and, oddly enough, had a period of time as and an And I event. think, uh, uh, just again, a public school is kind of a, like private, a private school, school. Yeah. here in America. Okay. That's right. So a little bit moved up from the townies. And um, oddly enough, he, he had a period of time as an, an evangelical Christian isn't that odd? Even though he was not raised that way, he decided. Well, now we to, know where, he, where, where if he's strange, writing most. If he's writing most of the lyrics. We we know where a lot of that imagery comes. Yeah, from. Yeah, and the symbolism. You know, he yeah. learned a lot about the symbolism before he used it in the songs. What is um, it? Sidebar. What is it about? Uh, you know, modern Christianity. You know, couched in the term evangelical, uh, which is all focused on you know the last book of uh, Revelations, hence end of times. I was you asking me? Yes, it wasn't rhetorical. Oh, I have no clue. I don't have any knowledge of the Bible. Sorry, people. Yeah. Wow, we learned something new about Shelley today. Yeah. In fact, we've been so watching. So it's a big book. Yeah. Uh, it was written about two thousand years <laughs> Apparently ago. Apparently, I have more knowledge than my husband. Actually, it's made up of two different books. Yes, uh, that I the know. The first is a story of, of the Jewish people. Uh, the second is a story about a particular Jewish right. guy, which nobody remembers was Jewish. But uh, anyway, I that's about as much as I know. Thank you. I tried oh. to read it from the beginning when I was a youngster mm-hmm. and got disaffected when I was told that women had to take the lead from their husbands oh and I went, you didn't agree oh no after about two chapters i was like no nah, i don't think so yeah so yeah. anyway that's sorry people that's me but <laughs> moving on moving on <laughs> moving on he, he he did take part in choir but only one teacher visiting teacher told him he had a good voice otherwise he was not at all um musical you know he wasn't he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't um being groomed to be a singer wow. in any way wow because he's he's known as one of the greatest uh, right. metal singers of, yeah. of all time, and and it sounds to me as a singer like he has a trained voice. Yes, it does. I'm surprised. But I don't think he did. Well, at, then at the fuck beginning. you, yeah. Bruce Dickinson. Trainers. Yeah. No trainers. No, it's just the natural talent. Yeah. Right. Bullshit. I know it's irritating, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure Aretha Franklin never had voice lessons. Oh, either. now wait, no. Uh, now Aretha, no, actually, she, you know, was was steeped but in she the was tradition, groomed. yeah, and groomed uh, specifically. She probably in had unofficial voice lessons no, from no, many, she many paid, mentors. She paid her dues. Uh, yeah. So anyway, all right. So <laughs> you then, have to bring Aretha back in, huh? Yeah. So then, at least I'm not bringing Nick Lowe in. Come on. There you go. <laughs> oh, I did. I just did. All right. Um, so then he went away to boarding school. Now, you know, many, many experiences can be gleaned, apparently, from boarding schools. And this sounds like a, a real Harry Potter kind of institution. Um, for the first two years, he was... It's not the good kind of Harry Yeah, Potter. that's right. For the okay. first two years, yeah. he was bullied horribly. Maybe not... more like uh, Pink Floyd, the wall of tradition. <laughs> right. Oh, yes. Perfect. He was not just bullied by the children, other kids. He was bullied by the teachers i uh, mean there was a whole yeah. culture of, how can you have any pudding if you of don't horrible right. yeah right um please sir can i have some more <laughs> um 
So, yeah, there was a whole, you know, sociology of boarding schools, I suppose, and the humiliating and um, and just horrible punishments and ways that they kept the kids in line. And uh, after a while, though, he actually rose up in ranks because um, he had been there for a while. He started um, fencing at school. Oh, yes, he's a well-known fencer. That's right. Okay. And he was actually put in charge of weaponry at the school. Oh, Jesus. Which is funny. Yeah, and the name of the school was Elmdale. What kind of of weaponry does a school have? Yeah, they had a a foundry and an arsenal. So, yeah. uh, Did they have cannons? I suppose so. There's Again, uh, here's where some of the, the motifs and imagery of Iron Maiden come from. That's okay. right. right. All right. All right. Smetal, smelting and metalwork were some of his yeah. fun things he used to do. Along with armories yeah. uh, but, and armaments. So the way okay. that this uh, relates to his musical career, yes, in case yes, you were yes. wondering, yes, I'm wondering, was that there were a couple teachers at the school that he really appreciated and that were visionaries. And one of them produced rock concerts in the hall at school and even genesis played there once nice and um so bruce got involved in you know popular music and and yeah so he he helped put them on and things like that yes and deep purple was one of his first you know favorite bands now there there is a foundational uh, metal that's right Mm mm-hmm Jethro Tull mm-hmm. and Black Sabbath. Those yeah, were well, and of course Black Sabbath kind of... is probably the fountainhead of this entire genre. That's right. So from that, he decided actually he wanted to be a drummer. That was the first thing. And he got some bongos and he met up with three other boys. And the only thing they could agree on that they all knew was let it be. <laughs> <laughs> So with bongos, this yeah, and the singer at the time was the bass player, and he couldn't hit the notes. So they said, "Hey, let let's see if Bruce wants to try." So Bruce tried, and instantly they recognized that he was that an actual natural-born natural singer, and they said, "Put away your bongos." Yeah. So you know, and he retired from the bongos. He, I know, short stint yeah. with the bongos. That's too bad. Imagine yeah. what kind of bongo player he could have been. Yeah. Just as he was becoming, you know, that one of the top dogs at the school, though, he and another boy were expelled from the school for breaking into the alcohol stores and getting drunk on beer. But before that, he tells this funny story about how there was this big uh, dinner on campus with all the luminaries of the school, i.e. all the teachers that had tortured them. Mm-hmm. And they decided um, they wanted to help cook the meal and they were put in charge of cooking the green beans in their, on their hot plate in their, in, their, in their dorm room. And they pissed in the, in the uh, cooking pot for the green beans. And so when he was called into the headmaster's office to be expelled all bruce could think of was you've eaten my piss <laughs> and just walked away he didn't tell him that he just thought that was really a really funny way to go out of the school and he actually had a sense of relief like now i'm free and i can go do what i want to do yeah but yeah. didn't he uh, actually pass his 
A levels and uh, which is kind of like yeah. leaving high school. And I then believe getting he did into later. He he right? had nine months off to yeah. study uh, and take the exams. Uh, homeschool. Uh, yeah, and so Indep- independent study we used to call that. Yeah, right. And he barely passed his exams. It says here and mm. got into university in London, which was a Queen Mary College. Right. Right. Um, and in the meantime, he had some uh, time uh, singing in some crappy bands. Those are his words, not mine. So and he began to take his uh, past bongo experience and now singing and uh, and turn it into something. Yeah, yeah he definitely yeah, got the, the, the bug. The bug. Yeah. yeah. But of course, it was 1977, and it was punk music time, oh, which God, he was not yeah. interested in. So he really wanted to play rock and roll. Um, Not that punk music isn't rock and roll, but he wasn't interested in punk music. So he learned to play the guitar and started composing, even though he didn't know anything about music. And here at Queen Mary College, he did get involved in in producing shows uh, at the Great Hall at at Queen Mary College. So he got involved in producing and also playing. So front front and back of the house. And the band he was in was called Speed, even though they didn't know that was a uh, drug reference. They were just interested in the, the yeah, tempo. Yeah, fast. Okay. All right. Speed, meaning fast. Right. Okay, so the next band he got into was a band called Samson. Now, we do oh, have some... Oh, everybody knows Samson. Yes, we do okay. have some uh, some actual new, archaeological new, new, finds new from Samson. New wave of, of British heavy metal band. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And in this band... In this band, he feels like this was the time that he perfected the voice that he used later on. So when they were recording an, an oh, album the, the operatic for Samson, style. yeah, he kept getting pushed um, to go higher and higher and higher in you know in his. Uh, voice and he felt like that made his voice sound really thin he didn't like the way his voice sounded way up high like that so he this is the kind of one of the first um uh, examples i have about him just being a self-taught person which is part of what the title means what does this button do it's like he's fueled by curiosity constantly in the course of his life so he gets a book and he reads about vocal technique and and he improves his vocal technique just by reading the book and figuring oh, I bet out you like that. where to place, you know, if he wants to go high, how does that work mm-hmm. mechanically? Because he's a very mechanical person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's how he got his current, you know, the voice that we know of that he used in Iron Maiden and his solo um, yeah. Nick, Nick, nicknamed the Air Raid Siren. The Air Raid Siren, mm-hmm. yes. And he met the producer, Martin Birch, who produced um, Iron Maiden through, I think, most of their history and helped him kind of refine his vocal style. So this was with the band Samson. Yes, Samson. And, um, so, we need to play a Samson yes, song. Yes, we found a song <laughs> on YouTube. Uh, and also Clive Burr, who was later an, the Iron Maiden drummer, was in Samson. So the two of them are in Samson together. Right. And then are in Iron Maiden at one. Well, I, I don't know if it's Clive Burr. Uh, no, uh, Nico McBrain has been the drummer for. Yeah. Clive Burr was first. Oh, before. Oh, yeah. So it, it, just uh, for a little while, a couple of years. I know there is a ton of people who were in yeah. Iron Maiden, especially before. Iron Maiden gets famous. Right. Uh, and we're not going to 
We're not going to cover no, every single... No, please, God. That would take yeah. forever. Yeah, I can't. Um, my head's spinning. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, Samson, though, um, I believe they make a movie with Julian Temple. And this movie is about a roadie who, you know, has this incredible God-given strength. Hmm. This is starting to sound familiar. You never read the Bible? No. Okay. I, I tried. Uh, so. I tried. I got blocked. So, uh, and there's a, a woman involved who, you know, wants to cut his long roadie hair off, uh, who does, makes him weak. Uh, but then, of course, you know, he tears down the speakers and kills yes. everybody. I do recall uh, that, yeah, that story. This is, this yeah, this is the Samson story from the Bible. But I believe the song that we're going to play is called Biceps of Steel? Yes. <laughs> Which is about the roadie, right? Who? I, I mean. The Samson roadie? Yeah, doesn't he have biceps of steel? He's like in this funny video. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a fun video. Uh, Silly. It's definitely uh, something to see. So let's play a little bit. <laughs> biceps of steel. That was awesome, huh, Sio? <laughs> yeah. What are you? This is this has got to be on your playlist. I know. I'm sorry. Just I, I know. I but hey, look, look it's very tongue in cheek. Yeah. So I it's it, I get the joke. No, uh, I I appreciate the humor. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, um, but um, yeah. Well, okay. So let's let's move on yeah. from Samson because uh, because very... again, this is about Bruce Dickinson. And, that's right. And uh, that I, I didn't know he was in Samson. So oh, hey, I learned something. That's right. Okay. And shortly after that, of course, he was asked to join Iron Maiden. Mm-hmm. So now Iron they... Maiden had a. Singer already. Yeah, they had two albums out already. Um, So the previous singer was Paul Diano, and he was, as they say in England, sacked. And um, he actually, one of the reasons that Bruce wanted to be in this band is he had this kind of idea of something he calls theater of the mind, which is something he played out, obviously, in Samson, and then threw out Iron Maiden, which was putting on these theatrical spectacles along with the music. And he was, Bruce was very interested in doing that. So he wanted to bring that into Iron Maiden. But by this time, Iron Maiden was working on their third album. But apparently Bruce also dubbed over some of the vocals on the second album over Paul Diano's, but he doesn't say which one, and I didn't go back and look at that. Oh, really? Okay, but if- so so in, in 1980, Iron Maiden comes out with their first album called Iron Maiden, and then in Killers, uh, uh, makes Killers in 1981. Uh, and now we're talking about the upcoming 82 album. So, so he must have done some overdubs for Killers then. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. And then, and then now we're working so this, on The Number of the Beast. That's right. Which is like that's the, the third classic, album. Uh, and that was the one that went album. to number one. Yeah. 
Um, and one of his, I just want to mention one of his uh, mentors or heroes and influence was Ian Gillen of Deep Purple. He has a funny story in the book about meeting Ian Gillen and getting sick all over him. So oh, if you want to read that, that story. It's pretty funny. Okay. Um, so the single off of uh, Number of the Beast was Run to the Hills. Oh, of course. So shall we have a listen? Uh, yeah, that's a great song. I believe it is uh, lyrically all uh, about the Charge of the Light Brigade. Oh. Didn't did know that, huh? mention that, no. Oh, no. well, now I'm going to make you listen to it and uh, see if you have a different appreciation for it. You're not talking. Okay, I know. Yeah, my thought was, you're not really going to make me listen to it, are oh, you? Yes, yet? I am. Let's play <laughs> Run to the Hills. Okay. not about the charge of the light brigade it's <laughs> it's about uh the troubles of uh, the american native uh and the uh incoming uh white man uh on their lands well, hence run to the hills yeah that's that's kind of surprising you wouldn't expect an english band to be writing about the travails of the our native peoples. Ah, but if you are an English band trying to uh, break into America, you may use uh, uh, American interests and uh, knowledge to help you do so, huh? Well, then good on. <laughs> yes. Anyway, uh, oh, yeah. I, hey, I love that song. It's a great song. Okay. Huh? <laughs> so they went on. We're going we're gonna to make you into an Iron Maiden convert, convert here before uh, we're done. Well, I'm a Bruce Dickinson convert. Okay. Well, there right. is that. It's a good starting point. Yeah. Yes. All right. So anyway, this was the beginning of a five-year run of theirs without resting at all. They, yeah, 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 yeah. They Lots, just, yeah, they became, just tour. Oh, uh, they are workhorse. They're still workhorse. Yeah. When they go out on tour, you're talking three, four month uh, yeah. tours, and they're playing, uh, you know, um, maybe every other night, maybe a couple of nights. I mean, just to give an example, uh, you know, the Rolling Stones are getting ready to go back on tour. Now, granted, they're about uh, 15 years older than uh, than Iron Maiden, 20 years. So when you, when if you look at it day to day, but you know, they got about three or four days in between gigs. So just to to give you an idea and, yeah. and let's face it playing uh, the metal music is far more strenuous and uh, i've had many discussions with that from you know from i think we've talked about a little bit but certainly on my show deeper digs in rock with a lot of authors that do pen uh heavy metal books that just uh you know the athleticism that's required and the inability to continue to do that when you start to you know get into your 60s or 70s yes, I, I just don't, i know. I'm not sure how, how that's possible <laughs> 
uh, when you get down to it. So yeah. anyway, all right, yeah. all right. So uh, so here, Bruce Dickinson now is. Uh, the lead singer of Iron yeah. Maiden, and yeah. um, uh, they are now be very quickly becoming international superstars. Yeah, they are, and it actually to the point of um, you know having trouble with bodies and getting older. Even when he was a young man, he lost his feeling in his left arm because he damaged his discs with headbanging, and he had to uh, wear a neck brace and rest because he had a herniated disc. Oh, At that Jesus. time in his life, yeah, early on in his career. So he figured out how to work with that and not do that anymore because obviously <laughs> that wasn't good for him. Yeah. Now, a um, um, couple years into this um, band history with Iron Maiden, they actually let go of Clive. What's Clive's name again? Clive Burr, who was actually... Oh, the, the, uh, the producer. Uh, no, the drummer with... So oh, well, Richard, Clive Burr was oh, okay. the drummer with Samson, and he came with he with, with Bruce, um, Bruce okay. to Iron Maiden. So, okay. so they let go of him, and because he didn't have a good relationship between himself and the bass player, who was Steve Harris, who was actually the leader he, yeah, of the Steve, band Steve at the Harris time. Steve Harris is the leader of yeah. Iron Maiden. Yeah, and but, you know, yeah. of course, you, you can't have a band when the relationship with the drummer and the bass player is not good, especially yes. when you're using these bizarre and intricate time signatures changing you know changing time signatures yep, yep, all yep. over the place mm -hmm. which is difficult to follow mm -hmm. so the next drummer they hired on was uh nico nico Mc mcbrain, McBrain. Yeah, yeah and um they all decamped to the island of jersey who's a, who's a little bit older than the rest i think is he's that the, right? i think he is the oldest member mm -hmm. of iron maiden they went to the island of Jersey and took over a hotel for the next two years and used it for writing songs and uh, used the ballroom for the rehearsal room. There was an open bar and they just, you know, took over and did all their writing and rehearsing there. And then they went to the Bahamas to record. Nice. Which was an interesting thing because in the Bahamas they had power surges that kind of screwed up the studio. You know, like when you're you're recording a song and the power goes out all of a sudden and you have to bring it up quickly so you can continue recording. So that was kind of uh, irritating to say the least. And it was about this time that um, Bruce took up fencing again, which he had learned when he was at boarding school. And he... As somebody who's very curious and very high energy, he needed something to kind of keep him, you know, grounded, uh, grounded from the road. and yeah. active yeah. and yeah. outside, something outside of the rock and roll world, which a lot of rock and roll musicians are not equipped to do. You know, their whole life is being in the band and going on tour and when they're not doing that, they drug, kind of... Drug, sex, and rock and roll. Yeah, right. And That's so, the usual uh, story that we hear around yeah, yeah, this is probably one of the ways that Bruce kept himself in actually in the good enough shape mm -hmm. to be in a metal band. And, and also, to keep doing it now at age 60. Yeah, yeah. not mm -hmm. be all fucked up on, you know, not have gotten addicted 
you know, to drugs and stuff like that. He was yeah. doing other things. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not too dissimilar from, you know, I talked to K.K. Downing uh, from Judas Priest, and mm-hmm. he and Glenn Tipton took up golf to uh, kind of get away from uh, the travails that, or pitfalls, I should say, that uh, most metal bands get into. Uh, too, yeah. too much drugs and drink, and, and uh, this allows them to kind of have a different pursuit, which requires them to maintain. Sleep, I think it's a great idea. Eat, yeah, 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 yeah. Good Stay for him. sharp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, fencing though—that's no, right. that's an unusual choice. Um, great, yeah. he can kill you with a sword too. Yeah, okay, that's right. <laughs> so the fourth album was "Peace of Mind" in 1983, yeah. mm-hmm. and um, the song that took off actually in America from that song because they hadn't really taken off in America yet. Um, they're still trying to get into the U.S. Um, but Flight of Icarus was the the radio track in America that was played. And, of course, it's a retelling of the story of... And the trooper as well. Yes, and so, the trooper. Oh, I think the trooper's the one about uh, the charge of the light brigade. So, oh. Yeah. And that's the one he based his named his beer after later. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll save that for later. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, you want to play Flight of Icarus? Yeah. All right, let's do that. that song because I, I just think it's cool when they bring in uh you know mythology and and bible stories even mm-hmm. um yeah and you know one one thing that he was saying um during this part of the book was that so you they, like you like greek myths over the bible <laughs> yes you know we're we're watching this show called lucifer now my family oh. and it's uh you know it's kind of oh, tangentially so this is, this is your bible about the lessons? bible that's my bible oh, oh, uh, so this is your sunday school yeah <laughs> even okay. though it's obviously it's taken from a comic book so i'm yeah, sure it's yeah, not. Yeah. no no it's taken from a graphic novel a graphic novel a okay book. come on so anyway but what he says about iron maiden is we don't do love songs. So, <laughs> oh, Bruce. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We don't do no, love songs. No, no, yeah. they, they don't. So, all right. All and right. P- part of what happens around this time is they finally, um, Eddie finally... Um, arrives, sh- arrives on stage. Yes, yeah, Eddie. Yeah. As well, he's been those. the motif from the very beginning. I think he's... I think he shows up on every single Maiden album, if I'm if I'm Maybe on the correct. cover art, but he yeah. started becoming... Yeah. yeah, part of the stage act. Yeah, he mm-hmm. came into being on the Sign of the Beast tour mm-hmm. and was used for the cover of the next album, Peace of Mind. And he is, uh, for those of you who don't know, part supernatural, part primal. As Bruce <laughs> says, he doesn't give a fuck, he just is. <laughs> so, and they use him to great degree and change his outfits and the sets uh, 
you know, depending on what the tour is and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, yeah, when, he's in various motifs when uh, from yeah. uh, English soldier to Egyptian god. Yeah, uh, when you first cyborg, told me about Eddie, uh, I was like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> anyway, well, it sounds kind of fun. Anyway, <laughs> I just, you know, hello, are we children? Okay. Anyway, then the Peace of Mind tour was the next. They went for the jugular in America and went to tour and try to capture the Americans. But they found that Canada really made more sense because Canada was more English than America was. And they weren't quite American enough. When they went on tour, they realized that with after two years on the road, you know, that they didn't get America, basically. It wasn't or so much Ameri- that Ameri- America didn't get them. Yeah, I think yeah. maybe it was more that they didn't get America, because America well, like, certainly like I said, came Judas around. Judas Priest, I think, was bigger, uh, especially early on in the 80s, and then Iron Maiden began to uh, eclipse them in uh, the latter part of the of the 80s. As far as the, the new wave of British heavy metal bands are concerned coming over here. I mean, we had our own, you know, brand of metal at that time called hair metal mostly out of los angeles although mm-hmm. other acts are, are around the, around the country but uh okay so they're i i still don't understand why they decided canada was oh, because canada would m- maybe understand the the british, the british kind british of yeah feel okay. yeah canada is mm-hmm. more like you know in time kind of closely tied to britain and had Kind yeah. of more of the well, sense yeah. of humor yeah. and the... Queen and country and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Part, part of the empire or yeah. uh, now the Commonwealth. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, they um, they went on, you know, they did, of course, toured and toured and toured. Um, and uh, Bruce, you know, brought his fencing on the road with him to keep him... So everywhere they went on tour, he would fence at local clubs and even started... Um, competing local fencing clubs yeah local fencing clubs not music clubs right 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 (laughs) and you know and getting trainers in certain parts of the world and in fact at one point the fencing coach that was errol flynn's fencing coach was one of his fencing coaches yeah well he is a man of means now that's right so he can afford that yeah he can get anyone he wants to help him yeah and he liked fencers and he liked hanging out with them you know they were smart and eccentric, and they liked beer, so that was important. Oh, he the, liked beer the fencers too. themselves. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and then uh, they went to the Bahamas to record Power Slave, which was their 1984 album, and the single off the album, or one of the singles. <laughs> you keep calling them singles, and I find that funny, because they're not really singles, are they? I mean, they're just... Like the song that gets played on FM radio. Okay. <laughs> the one that went, that did well on FM radio yeah. was Power Slave. And um, this was written. I thought it was Aces High. Let's see. Aces High. And then there was. Uh, Two Minutes to Midnight. Rhyme of the Ancient Mar- Mariner also. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But. We Power can't play Slave. them all. You get one. No, I like Power Slave. <laughs> oh, 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 you like a song. No, no, I, I like it because I didn't finish my sentence. <laughs> because it's a partial allegory of life as a rock star. And the Pharaoh, which is part of their. Wait, let me see if I can get this Go right. Go on. The Pharaoh Eddie that was on tour with them. And it was. Uh, <laughs> 
about all being just an empty tomb, which was something about some allegory about life as a oh, rock star. Oh, I know what's happening here. Bruce is getting bored. He's going to leave Iron Maiden. Someday, yes. Yeah, so you want to you, you wanna play your favorite Iron Maiden song, Power Slave. <laughs> I guess so. If you want to call it my favorite. No, you know, I'll, we'll get to my favorite Bruce Dickinson song oh, okay. a little so later. Okay, so your second okay. favorite Iron Maiden song. Okay, this song. Might, may be my favorite Iron Maiden song, but not my favorite Bruce song. Oh, okay. Power Slave. Yeah. <laughs> it's a roundabout way to get to a song. Now, 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 me, I would have played Aces High or Two Minutes to Midnight, um, knowing those songs uh, yes. a, a little bit better. But, but the hey, neophyte didn't this, know this, anything. This is all about you, dear. Yeah. So if you like Power Slave, that's the song we play. So yeah. uh, there you go. So see, we're slowly, you're beginning to understand and respect Iron Maiden. Okay. <laughs> 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 All right. Anyway, after that, they took a, an, a very interesting trip to Poland and went behind the yeah, Iron Curtain. Yeah, that's right. They were one yeah. of the first uh, bands to do that. Behind uh, the Iron yep, Curtain yep, yep. in 1984. Yeah, yeah. And he said that the Poles were sensational. They were really enthusiastic. Oh, I'm sure. Appreciative. And of, yeah, uh, he, they had this bodyguard named Josef. Who uh, took you know taught them the culture of Poland and drove them around oh, and uh, I he, bet he and Eddie got along great. Yeah, he describes you know communist Poland and the remnants of Nazi occupation and the, they visited Auschwitz as well and it had a very uh, deep effect on oh, him. Yeah, as so, anybody who goes there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've never been, but no, I haven't either. But I mean, yeah. I know the history. I know the. You know, uh, I've, you know, obviously heard plenty of stories of uh, people going there. So, yeah, yeah. Well, that would be overwhelming. Um, then on to uh, Brazil after they toured Europe, they did a, sh- a festival called Rock in Rio. Yeah. And they broke one. Iron Maiden in an entire continent overnight. Yeah. There was two weeks. Yeah, um, a lot a lot of the metal bands uh, go down there and find that uh, they've, you know, have a huge audience that is completely unexpected. 300,000 people. Yeah. They yeah. had three stages with a railway track to rotate the stages. And Queen was the headliner. Mm-hmm. But there was barely contained chaos. And the sound was awful, <laughs> apparently, at that at that festival. Now he has a description. He tells a story about it, how he had a temper tantrum on stage with the sound engineer because the sound was so bad. And he wrenched his blue guitar over his head, split his forehead open, and 
blood, you know, blood streaming down his head. And he went on anyway on live TV. And during the break, everybody was trying to fix him up so he could go back on. But someone, someone said, no, the director wants him to make it bleed again because it looks great on TV. Well, Obviously, kind of fits the whole, you know, metal-ish look and feel. Uh, yes, but, so. uh, but, but that's no way to perform. No, <laughs> not. It's good when it's when it's uh, you know uh, stage blood. <laughs> it's, right. It's not yeah. when it's not when your head blood. hurts and you're trying to sing. I mean, right. that's nothing worse than that. I, I bet. Um, yeah, and so that that tour just kind of put him off touring actually because there was so much backstage politics and craziness and um he just felt like giving it all up but of course the established the management would not you know talked him out of it so that was the first time he decided he would not like to play an iron maiden but he stayed on for a while and just kind of pulled back a little bit so when they went to record out the album somewhere in time back and um in kind of their housing i think they were on the island of jersey again bruce decided that he just wanted to sing and let the rest of the band write the music and do the politics so he rented another hotel on the island um for songwriting, but since he wasn't planning to write any songs, he did a lot of fencing competitions instead. And he, he talks about how um, the tour that they went on next, that he was trying to tell the costume designers of what he wanted, like his costume to look like. And it was it's really hysterical. Like, I want the top half to look like a, you know a bug and the bottom half to look like a you know a monster and he he wrote he um wore some kind of jacket that they made for him that was supposed to show a beating heart that kind of broke and fitzed out and got really hot and he had to take it off and i mean there's it's just, that there's that spinal tap that's like kind that. of the slow the lo-fi or you know um they're trying to do all these crazy technical things but they don't have all the you know, all of the technical chops that were to come along later. Like you said, like later on, it might have been done with CGI. Is that the right term? You know, some kind of like... Well, that's uh, computer graphics. Computer graphics that would kind of make it look like his heart was bleeding, but instead he just... um, Looked They just looked like these funny things. Yeah. Anyway, this was about the time he got bitten by the pilot bug because... He went in a light craft in order to get back to Jersey after a fencing tournament with Nico, the um, the drummer. And Nico was a pilot, but he didn't have his license yet. So he was reading instructions on how to start the plane. And the three of them that were on the plane were had all their fencing equipment and had to lean back and forth to make the plane um, behave while they were flying. And the whole time Nico's reading the instructions... <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, but that's, for some reason, Bruce thought that was quite interesting, and he became fascinated with airplanes and wanted to, you know, just got this bug in his head about flying. Um, He also started writing a book called The uh, Adventures of Iffy Boat Race on Hotel Stationery while while on tour, and got a three-book deal out of that. Do you find something on Wikipedia about that book? About the adventures of Iffy Boat Race. Yes, yes, it did. Yes, yeah. Can't wait to read it. Yeah, 
I think it's uh, some sort of uh, fetishism with the upper classes uh, yeah. tale, uh-huh. uh, of which, you know, in America, we, well, we used to not have upper classes. We definitely have upper classes now. Right. Um, I think we're out uh, aristocracy in the English nowadays. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, That's right. <laughs> but, uh, but yes, it would fit well uh, for the home country. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, let's interesting choice of uh, topics. Yeah, mm-hmm. I you know mm-hmm. whatever. This is another thing of how does this button work? Like I want to write a book. How do I do that? Let me try. You know. Yeah. I got a hotel stationery. I'm just going to start scrawling. Something yeah. came out of my strange mind. Yeah, you know, but I I do want to point out again. You know, uh, all of us have those sort of uh, crazy ideas. Uh, the difference is that most of us don't have um, the, the money, the money, and the support system to yeah. just go. You bet, sir. Yeah. Right on it. Right. Uh, or the whatever time. You need. Yeah, and the, and the time. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, so. That's true. Mm. But good for him. I mean, uh, you know, for actually, you know, grabbing the bull by the horns and doing something about it. Yeah. He seems like he's not held back too much no. by anything. No, no, He does sound like he has to keep active or bad things will happen. Yeah. He may be a little hyper, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, the the seventh. Oh, see, the next album in 1988 was Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. I think he's quite fond of this album, and it's a concept album based on a book by Orson Scott Card, mm-hmm. and one of he thinks one of their best. It was the first to use keyboards. Also, they didn't previously have oh, any keyboards, mm-hmm. and he started writing with Steve uh, Harris. Oh, I mean, Harris, Harris yeah. again. Yeah, we're gonna yeah. make a lot of mistakes here. And um, he 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 said he would have liked to do a graphic novel on the album. He liked it so much. It makes a lot of sense with his, you know, theater stuff and wanting to depict um, things visually rather than only musically. So a graphic novel makes total sense in this this vein. Um, The song that I would like to play off of this album is Can I Play With Madness? Yeah, that was a big song. Okay, hey, uh, I know that one as opposed to Power Slave song. (laughs) We'll go with... Can I play with madness? Can I play with madness? He met a video director, Julian Doyle, who helped with the video for this song, Can I Play With Madness? And Julian Doyle had also worked on a lot of Monty Python movies. Oh. Yeah. And so when Bruce says... Oh, you mean like like Meaning of Life and... uh, uh, Yeah, I don't know exactly what he did, but he he did work uh, with Monty Python and he was... They're Monty Python's guru, I guess. Oh, um, wow. wow. When Interesting Bruce, video. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, uh, we talked earlier about his uh, hatred of uh, the public school system and, uh, the you know, the teachers and the headmasters. Yeah. And, and I think that's like the storyline in the 
in the video is mm. some headmaster getting his comeuppance. Ooh. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So one of the interesting things about his meeting with Julian Doyle was that Julian and he went on through many, many years of working on a script and a movie about Aleister Crowley, the famous English occultist yeah, yeah. Mm. and oddball. Yeah. And um, they, so this is a through line through the book that he meets again with Julian Doyle off and on to work on the script and work on the movie, which eventually came to fruition. Um, and then, um, let's see, they, he was invited to do a movie soundtrack. So he's a screenwriter as well. Yes. Oh. Yeah. <clears throat> nice. He went on to do a movie soundtrack. He was asked to do a movie soundtrack for once uh, for Nightmare on Elm Street number five. Oh. And he brought in his friend from Samson, whose name was Yannick Gers. Oh, yes, who ends up in Iron Maiden. That's right. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and Yannick was despairing because he'd been playing music for a long time and wasn't getting anywhere. And Bruce thought he was a wonderful guitar player and didn't want him to hang up music. So he pulled him into this project. And um, but Bruce had never seen one of these movies, Nightmare on Elm Street, and so somebody <laughs> described the plot line like young girls and a it's man. perfect. It's yeah. perfect. He said, "So, hmm, a love story." All right. All right. <laughs> so the song he wrote for the movie was "Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter." Oh, and, okay. And. Uh, it was too late for the movie, but the company that was making the movie wanted to give him a solo deal, and so he worked on the solo album with Yannick Gers, and this song, Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter, was on that album, as well as a cover of All the Young Dudes, which I listened to, and it sounds just like Mott the Hoople and David Bowie, so as, as Bruce says... So you chose the... Bring your daughter to the slaughter. Because all the young dudes, as as Bruce says in the book, it was perfect for him, but he agrees he didn't improve on the original. So oh, right. it sounds pretty similar. So let's listen to Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter, which came out on his album, his solo album. First Tattooed solo album. First solo album? Millionaire. Oh, yeah, okay. Tattooed Millionaire. So did you bring your daughter to the slaughter? Because you don't have a no, daughter. No, no tengo, <laughs> hijo, hija. Um, <laughs> no, I would not anyway, but I do not have one of those. But it is a funny title. But it's a top-selling song, it's, especially in the UK. I thought you were going to say it's topical. <laughs> 
no. <laughs> like in, in what way? But All it, right. So basically, Iron Maiden co-opted that song, even though it was a solo Bruce song. Right. They put it right. on their album, No Prayer for the Dying, yeah. in 1990. They, they re-recorded it um, for that album. And then there was another album uh, shortly thereafter, which was Fear of the Dark in 1992, um, and sh- and during this time, I would say Bruce is becoming disaffected with the band. He's not, you know, really feeling his creative juices flowing, and he wants to do something different. Mm. And um, in 1992, actually, he had his first trial flight lessons in Florida. So this was something that really got his juices going. He describes it as a conversion, which is an interesting way to talk about a hobby <laughs> that it was uh, emotional and life-changing and a meeting of all worlds it was a poetic and mechanical confluence of of interests for him oh i can imagine yeah uh, i mean i i do know that he goes on to become a commercial pilot and actually worked for an airline for that's a time. right and, a couple of airlines and now he flies the band around in 747s that's he, right he is uh, licensed to pilot 747 yeah this is the beginning of that mm-hmm. um of course he has to do a lot of training and a lot of testing and solo flights and everything and, and apparently every kind of plane that he flies he has to do testing and oh, course, training yeah. on mm-hmm. each kind of plane so um but in the um In the meantime, he tried to voice his concerns to the band that they were on the road to extinction. He felt like they were stagnating. Isn't that a uh, Megadeth album? (laughs) I don't know. Okay, go ahead. You tell me. I I digress. You tell me. (laughs) So he went to L.A. He He had an option to make a solo album, and he decided to use this time, even though he was still with Iron Maiden, but Mm -hmm. it was time to make another solo album. That's right. So he went to L.A. to do it, Mm -hmm. um, and he met an engineer named Shea Baby, and went to see the band called Tribe of Gypsies, which I've looked up. Uh, they actually are phenomenal. He really um, clicked with them. They, even though the the music is very different, it's the Latino scene in L.A. and they're, the band is of comprised of a former drug addict and a former gang member. But they were all Iron Maiden fans. And they were really, really good. And there was somebody in the band named Roy Z, and they started writing with each other. And and this kind of uh, spurred on another creative period of Bruce's life, working with this band, Tribe of Gypsies and Roy Z. And they uh, created an album title, which I love, called Balls to Picasso, which I think is a funny title album. Okay, Um, Balls... To Picasso, to Picasso, 1994. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, he became enamored of the Santa Monica, the cute little Santa Monica airport, and did a lot of flying down there in, in Southern California, Joshua Tree, Death Valley, and... Um, his, that, whole, that whole Southern California, yeah, flight to the desert, flight back, things like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And he needed some solo flights to get his license. He flew to Los Angeles. I mean, in Las Vegas and had a really scary time, but it describes how what it's like to panic, you know, when you're the pilot of an airplane and how that's not allowed and how you have to dig down and figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. And he, he retells it in a very exciting way. I didn't, think. didn't he also go to the 
Bosnian War or something like that? He did. He went to Sarajevo. Um, but first I want to play a song. May I play? This oh, is my yes, favorite, your favorite song. Oh, my God. Oh, this, my, is, this is your ultimate you guys, favorite. Yeah. Bruce, Bruce Dickinson's Dickinson song. song. Okay. Yeah. And you guys will all laugh because you'll know why once you hear it. Because it's quite gentle and lovely. Oh. <laughs> and it's called Tears of the Dragon, which was a big song on Balls to Picasso. I never thought I'd be saying that. <laughs> okay, okay, let's play. Yeah. Tears of the Dragon. You know, you can actually hear his voice, and even when he breaks out a little, you can you can see where he's really using his voice in a in a lovely way. Sorry, that's <laughs> sounds, the kind of girl I am. Uh, yeah, sounds a little like silent lucidity to me, but um, I get it. Uh, <laughs> All right. It's a softer, softer, gentler yeah. side of Bruce. Yeah, I see now that you are uh, completely enamored and infatuated by his mind. Uh, and you are desperately looking for, for his artistic talents yes. to also stir your soul. That's right. right. I'm, I'm like, and, oh, and this grabbing. Was, this was the one. Yes. And uh, and actually, it was right after this that he told um, Rod Smallwood, their manager, that he wanted to leave Iron Maiden. And that was it. That This was gone. the year. Yeah, He was gone. Oh, yeah. And didn't come I back for, what, nine, nine years or something uh, like no, that? No, no. Uh, six years. All right, for a long yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> Six, All right. nine, what's the difference? Yes, but anyway, speaking of Sarajevo... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, my yeah, God, yeah. this was one of the best parts of the book. Really? So, in 1999, somebody said, let's do a gig in Sarajevo with a solo band. And he said, isn't there a proper shooting war going on there? And somebody said, yes, but, you know, this is something that would be good to do because... You know, we could make a we could make a, a statement. Yeah, I think and, it was ninety four, but yeah, uh, ninety four. Yeah, uh-huh. You said ninety nine. Oh. So anyway, ninety four. Yes, I I even have nineteen ninety four right in front of me. And well, I a said four and a nine, it, it, they look a little like. Oh my god! <laughs> Thank you for covering for me. Um. Anyway, so so they went uh to the place where they were supposed to, yeah, you know, Bosnian get the War. helicopter yeah. mm-hmm. to take them over the mountain pass, mm-hmm. and they were found out that the the UN would not take them there. The UN was supposed to take them, and the UN backed out. So, so we're they, not taking no fucking that's right. heavy and metal band. So they met some skeevy guy zone. in like a bar or something. No, at the airport, I suppose, that said that he could get them through a tunnel. They had to go through a tunnel. I'll take you through a tunnel. Yeah, from Split in Croatia mm-hmm. to Sarajevo. Oh. And they were guests of the British Army, actually. It was a relief convoy. And they went in a bright yellow truck with cartoons painted on it. And uh, and, and Bruce took along with him a bottle of Jameson to fortify himself, which, of course, 
also greatly endeared to him to me because I am a fan of Jameson. Uh. And um, but the the description of them heading down in this convoy down the seven thousand foot mountain where there's fighting all along the way, and at any moment they could have been picked up, picked off by sharpshooters, was just kind of riveting yeah. and then they got into Sarajevo and his description of the city at that time the cars that were like colanders because they had so many bullet holes in them and getting ready for the gig you know sleeping in tents and getting ready for the gig and having the, the Bosnians take their PA system hostage and having to negotiate for release and doing the gig and just being entirely appreciated and Um, you know, raising morale in the city. But even when they were done, the adventure went on because they had to get out of the the city. Yeah, Yeah, I Mm -hmm. know. And they had to drive down this road to the airport, which was a prime pickoff spot by the snipers to get to the Sea King helicopter and get on. He said it was like being in Apocalypse Now, you know, getting into Sarajevo and getting out of Sarajevo and then being landed in um, England and taking, he said, the train back to, to London was surreal, a pit of hell that bubbles yards away from us, you know, just a very close proximity to England, this this horrible you know, life was happening and people were living in this in this hell, in this war zone. So he went directly to a pub. Yeah, isn't there a film about all of this? Yeah, later on they okay. did a film okay. about Sarajevo. Okay. I think it was 2015. Yeah, um, it's called Scream for Me, Sarajevo. That's right. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, right after he got off the train from getting home and getting to London, he went to a pub and started to write the song Inertia which was on the very next album he would do. So let's listen to Inertia. All right, let's do it. Inertia. These are the pictures. These are the feelings from the front line. Living in silence. Feeling the deafness like heavy smoke. Smiling with strangers. Counting the days like a spring coiled up inside. Welcome to your future, welcome to your book of lies. Fingers crawl through pages, nothing changes living here. Inertia! That's got that 90s uh, sort of, uh, now that grunge uh, is out, alternative rock is uh, kind of a thing and happening. Uh, Sounds like some influence of that is rubbing off on uh, Bruce here. Yeah, that was another solo album. That was on another solo album called Skunk Works. No, that's about as far from Iron Maiden I think I've heard him get. Yay. Oh, sorry. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And Skunk Works was the, actually the name of uh, the band, too, that he used. Okay. And he, what he says about this, you will find interesting. He said, in a sense, Skunk Works was a version of what Bowie tried to do with Tin Machine. It didn't work for him, and ultimately, it wouldn't work for me either. Oh, to just be a member of a band, right. even though it's a solo album. Right, right. and mm-hmm. people didn't take didn't to it. it. Yeah. Right, right, right. But he said, it taught me in one year what I had forgotten during 10 years an Iron Maiden. So that's mm-hmm. worthwhile, I think. I can see why he named the band Skunk Works. 
Yeah. Famous for, you know, Lockheed Martin making uh, uh, oh, secret airplanes. No, I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, that's what oh. Skunk Works comes from, yeah. And during this time, he started a radio career, too. So this man is a total, you know, renaissance person he's mm-hmm. got his finger in about just about everything except ballroom yeah dancing. He, he had a he had a, a, a show on the bbc mm-hmm. uh, for years mm-hmm. yeah he had one called masters of rock mm-hmm. another show called freak zone um and he did an interview with peter green um so you know he became a, a plus he gets back together with iron maiden a radio personality yeah and he flies jets <laughs> that's right mm. He also kills people with swords. Oh, well, uh, no. No, 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 no uh, killing. Just fencing. Just fancy. pretending. Pretend, just pretending. Pretending, yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, meanwhile, he is, uh, you know, still working on the Crowley movie, and he does another solo album in 1998 called The Chemical Wedding, which is becomes the name of the movie about Al- Aleister Crowley. So this gets kind of got kind of confusing for me because there's a song chemical wedding there's a an album chemical wedding and then there's a movie chemical wedding so you know go figure but um the the album i think there's another album in between called accident yeah, of birth, accident so. birth okay. yeah all right but moving on yeah moving on moving on um the the album chemical wedding was had the theme was based on robert blake the poet mm-hmm. so bruce kind of submerged himself totally in... Oh, you mean William Blake? William Blake, yes. Yeah, the English poet. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay, thank you. And he was a an artist as well. Yeah. Yeah, okay, he was an alchemist, it says here. Papered his walls... Oh, great. ...with Blake's One of those prints. guys. Yeah, he was, you know... Bruce Trying to turn lead into gold. Right. Very involved in uh, supernatural kind of occult things. So he well, he Blake's... is working on a movie about Alice. That's Cry, right. So no used... surprise, William Blake would be the next person he would. Yeah, find he used a lot of Robert Blake's um, prints. William, and... William Blake. William Blake. <laughs> oh God! I think and Robert Blake's an American tarot, actor. Tarot card images and des- the design of the album cover and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So you know, basically, it finally Bruce had developed this real career as a solo artist just about the time that Maiden was wobbling and stalling. And Yeah, Bruce, well, they made a couple of uh, solo albums that... Uh, Iron Maiden made some. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, with uh, the Bruce... What was... No, what was the guy's name? Blaley was the um, singer's name that, um, that entered Iron Maiden when, um, when Bruce was gone. Something oh. Blaley. Oh, Blaze Bailey. Blaze Bailey. Oh, I I stuck his two names say together. That, say that three times. And I said Blaley. Blaze Bailey. Okay. Blaze Bailey. Blaze Bailey. Well, they weren't doing hard. well. No, again, it's one of those. Uh, it's hard to replace the singer. Yes, yes, it is. Isn't that a good so, thing? Yes, it is a good thing. Yes. <laughs> For you and me. That, yeah. <laughs> um, Ooh, so, that was a little inside joke between the two of us. <laughs> don't replace me. You can't replace you me. You can't replace me. <laughs> I'm iconic. Okay. <laughs> so, so anyway, now they wanted him back. Uh, Iron Maiden wanted Bruce back, and he was good reluctant. Choice. Good he choice, was reluctant guys. to join because he felt like he'd grown artistically. But he asked the members of his solo band, and they encouraged him to do so, even though it meant that they would fall back into relative obscurity. 
So he had visions for Maiden, different visions, and he wanted to bring Adrian Smith back with him, who left right before Bruce left the yeah, band, yeah. and they had collaborated. So what so, better than three guitarists? Yeah, so now there would be three <laughs> guitarists. Yeah. To my mind, a little bit. I oh, mean, that's great. No, as no. we know. Yep, yep. Brave new world. Uh-huh. Yeah, mm-hmm. but guitars kind of overwhelm the singer. But anyway. So now that he's entering back into Iron Maiden, he had wanted to get a job with an airline, and he realized that that was kind of like his the time and commitment with Iron Maiden might get in the way of that. So th- he bought his own plane, a Cessna 421 Golden Eagle, if anybody knows what those are. And he called it the Bruce Goose. And he flew it all over the place. Um, there was no autopilot. And he had a harrowing uh, trip over the Atlantic, like through Greenland and Iceland, back to England from America. And when he... I, what, he flew a Cessna 421 twin engine to mm-hmm. Iceland? Yeah. Canada, Greenland, and Iceland. In he, this 421. Yeah, with a co- one co-pilot. Wow. And the warning lights kept um, kind of misbehaving, and they thought they were, you know, in trouble the whole time. So they were, you know, having to keep their cool. But then they, when they landed, they found out it was a malfunction of the light. It was a loose wire. It's a small pressurized yes. uh, twin-engine uh, uh, airplane. Right. Wow, that's 41-foot wingspan. This is a small airplane to be international uh, flying with. Yeah. But good for him. Okay. Yeah. And uh, when he got back, he wrote the song Ghost of the Navigator, which is on (laughs) Brave New World. Can you say it like that one more time? Ghost of the Navigator. (laughs) Okay, let's play. Let's play Ghost of the Navigator. Good hear that the navigator. Yeah, yeah. We're, we wouldn't have been reading. We wouldn't this. have gotten the song. Have, Ghost of well, the we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have had book either. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I guess we wouldn't be having this. We wouldn't not be talking either. about him. <laughs> I'm sure of that. Okay, so, but because you know he was really into flying, uh, he decided to take the multi-crew course for airline flying, which means that he could become a commercial pilot because you have, flying is one thing but flying with a team is something else mm-hmm. so he went to British Airways and subbed as a commercial pilot and he flew the first time a 757 uh, with passengers in July of 2001 and by the time it was uh and and at the in in September of that year, of course, he was in New York City. He had a proper job as an airline pilot, and he was in New York City for an MTV interview on 
um, September 11th, 2001, and was due to fly out that evening. But he not only didn't make the interview, but he didn't make the flight either because nobody was flying out of New York City on September 19th after the Twin Towers went down. Right. And he was stranded there for five days. And, um, and of course, as an airline pilot, was intimately in, kind of affected by the crazy, all the flight rules that came about with liquids and, you know, not being able, like he has a funny story about one of the co-pilots wanting to bring baked beans on the plane and not being allowed because there was too much moisture content in them. So that was um, something that he was really intimately involved in. Um, and then he went oh, on... Wait a minute. <laughs> yes. You can't bring baked beans onto a commercial aircraft? Uh, no, there was uh, apparently too much liquid in it, um, like more than three ounces. And then they had a conversation about the different brands of baked beans and which ones would be okay to bring on the plane because they had less moisture content. Oh, so, because of the new restrictions. Yes, oh, the, I get it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and then he started working for a new airline called Astraeus and got his training on a 737. And shortly after... He got experience as a captain of a Boeing 757, and they bought one for the band, Iron Maiden, and modified it to carry the band, crew, and equipment on tour so that they could go to places previously logistically unreachable, and they called the aircraft Ed Force That's One. That's right, Ed Force One. That's right. right, and this was very, very popular with their fans, and they were able to, you know, like go places in the world that maybe you couldn't actually get a good flight for with another commercial airline and go to kind of interesting places. But one of the things that he explains is that they went the wrong way around the world. So I guess there's the way that you go with the winds and the changing of time across boundaries. Uh -huh. So they went the opposite way so that they would be able to be awake and play at local time, 9 p.m. every night because they had the winds at their back and they saved time and fuel that way. But it was really a grueling way to do that because everybody was tired all the time because they had extreme jet lag, you know, doing the flying in that way. Again, I think there's a documentary on uh, this attempt that they did. They were able to, you know, fly their own jet from place to place and make it around the world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there is a movie about that. Mm -hmm. And there's some spots on YouTube, too, that... Um, it, he said it, it's probably the most photographed aircraft in the world in 2008 oh, yeah, and 2009. Oh, big, ugly yeah. face painted on it, yeah. Or, hey, not, you know, body positivity and all that. Uh, maybe he is beautiful. Yep. Eddie? Eddie? Yeah. Eddie Force One. <laughs> <laughs> Little joke there. Okay, that was poor. <laughs> And then every time they went on tour, they would repaint the aircraft to, you know, match up with the with the theme of the tour that they were going on. So that was, you know, one one way they used the aircraft to kind of, um, you know, 
promote you know promote themselves and they the next the album that they did in 2010 which was called the final frontier um they went on a mammoth greatest hits tour after that and um the single or the the song from the album that actually was their very first grammy that they got, believe it or not, in 2011. They got well, a Best Metal yeah. Performance Grammy for the song El Dorado. Yeah. I mean, you know, heavy metal has been notoriously, uh, has been forsaken by the Grammys. And uh, remember, uh, you know who, who won the, the Grammy for the first metal performance, right? Metallica? No. Jethro, okay. Jethro Tull. Oh, Metal? Against Metallica. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, the Grammy voters don't quite understand metal. Maybe they didn't need to read Bruce's book like you did. Yeah. Obviously, now you understand it, and you are going to become a big fan. I'm going to see you at metal shows coming soon. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm not surprised about that. Okay, <laughs> let's play El Dorado. Yeah, because this is their first Grammy. First Grammy for Iron Man. sounds like an Iron Maiden song. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's getting on to Bruce's 53rd birthday now. And uh, he, uh, they, they talked about how to be in a metal band and be older, you know, and they needed to manage their bodies. That is and, a concern. Yeah. Little, little and often would be a better strategy because mm-hmm. they had to have time to recover you know, after their tour and get on to the next tour. So, but one of the things that Bruce does about this time uh, to keep himself interested because his, his, his life doesn't seem exciting enough, apparently, to him, <laughs> is he decides to um, create a beer. And it's the beer that they call Trooper. Um, and he believes that they created a classic. Now, I asked my Iron Maiden fan friend who said it's pretty crappy. But, you know, I guess it all depends on what you like. 18 million pints had been drunk at this time. 18 million pints. Yeah. And growing. Yeah. Trooper is a premium British beer inspired by Iron Maiden and handcrafted at Robinson's Brewery. So uh, I didn't, unfortunately, um, wasn't able to find any Trooper beer or I would give my review of it. Well, maybe somebody can send one to you. Maybe. Uh, they can let us know. Well, if they we'll want give them to, an address. Anybody, as long as it's a can and not mm-hmm. a bottle, I don't want to open a broken bottle. Get a hold of us on uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook, or yeah. Instagram. At Sorensen Shelley. <laughs> yeah, let me know if you have a can of Trooper you would like to mail to me, and I will give you my address offline. And, and, and then, of course, uh, a review. That's right. All right. We'll do a review on the next one. All right. So, oh, geez. Then I, I'm going to play the Trooper. Because yeah. 
that to me is like the quintessential Iron Maiden song of which is the story of the Charge of the Light Brigade in song format. Okay, now we're back to the Charge of the Light Brigade. Let's hear the truth. You'll take my life, but I'll take yours too. You'll fire musket, but I'll run you through. So when you're waiting for the next attack, you better stand, there's no turning back. The bill was served, the time's That's a great song. That's uh, that's got to be one of your favorites now, right? Now it is, yeah. yeah see, you, I've t- you, yeah, you well, told me. Uh, this is great. Uh, you are expanding your horizons. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I've been doing that this whole time, being yeah. a rock and roll librarian. You know, it, it, that's the point, I, and that's I the point of Metallica. all of our shows. That's right. Is to not just not you know not just for us, uh, yeah, right. but to uh, you know our audience out there that you know uh, you know we believe that. You know, the further we get away from time, you know, the the cream of the crop is always going to be remembered. And I think Iron Maiden fits in uh, into that uh, that group. Uh, obviously, heavy metal does, uh, even though it doesn't get the respect that uh, it deserved during its uh, initial run. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, certain bands uh, really did a great job of performing and created a career long. You know, we're talking about a band that's 40 plus years old now. Uh, so, you know, this, this is, this is what, this is why we do this. Uh, and, uh, to find, uh, somebody as interesting as Bruce Dickinson is, is a fantastic thing. And I hope uh, we're able to share that with a lot of people out there. And I know a lot of the metalheads are probably going, oh, you know, there's, there's a lot of funniness and comedy and humor. Um, you know, but I think that just comes uh, with the territory. But in the end, I, I think we both, uh, have found that there's a lot to love and respect uh, with these guys, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody has their own story. And I, you know, I really appreciate, I know that from reading his book, obviously, he's put a lot of humor into the music that he plays, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of it's there. And, and it's a little, you know, yeah, it's it's a, a little bit, you know, like I said, it, and kinda... it maybe didn't start off with thinking that there was a, a tongue-in-cheek to it, uh, but now they certainly all realize that there's a pit of it. I mean, and let's face it, whenever Eddie comes out, it's fucking hilarious. Yeah, and if you can't uh, have fun, yeah. what's the point right, anyway? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, look, uh, Bruce uh, has proven himself to be an, a fantastic singer, songwriter, um, writer, pilot, uh, fencer, fencer. Yeah. uh you know yes he's a man with means and he can do all this but uh you know he had to have the smarts to to begin with and uh god bless him and uh, god bless that band but it's not all roses and wine uh i think there's a cancer scare that showed up here in the last few oh years, yeah right yeah yeah he um in december of i guess 2015 he was diagnosed with head and neck cancer, um, which is not good for a singer no, or anybody. But especially but, a singer. Yeah, it was a, a real, like, you know, like I tell people when they have cancer, because I've had cancer too. It's like, you know that 
you might get through it and you might look back on it through many years and go, oh, yeah, I had that. It was really horrible. But it's a fucking bitch to go through. Yeah. You know, and it was the same with Bruce, because this is a really difficult treatment to go through because you're having your your tongue and your head and your neck being bombarded yeah, by radiation, radiation and, yeah. and having problems eating. Chemo and all yeah. that. Oh, yeah. No and fun. And he, he found out he might lose his teeth because of the radiation, Mm -hmm. also his salivary glands. Um, But he got this great doctor who bent the radiation beam to miss his larynx and jawbone. Amazing. Wow. But he, you know, it was still, he didn't know if he would ever sing again. You know, also I could eat was pudding. He has a hysterical description of having, um, being quite uh, constipated for 10 days because all he was eating was custard. And he lost, um, you know, 20 pounds and saw Mick Jagger play right after he was done with his treatment and chuckled that he was almost as skinny as Mick Jagger now. (laughs) (laughs) So a few months after his treatment was over, he tried to sing in the shower and sounded horrible and tried not to panic. And the doc said, no, you need to wait like six more months. Don't even try singing for six months. But he was able to get back into some other things like flying. And then in September, he tried um, and found that the the top notes were still there and even purer. But the middle range and falsetto were, were not as controlled. So basically, it altered his singing style, which must have been interesting. But, you know, at least he could he could adapt to it, unlike Linda Ronstadt, who can't sing at all now. Well, she be, has Parkinson's, so yeah, totally different. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, there's no cure for that. There are cures for, for some cancers, and obviously, you know, Bruce got a, a good one to, to beat. Yeah. Uh, if, if, yeah. You have to, if you have to get it, you know, uh, you know. Um, hopefully he'll remain in remission for forever. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I think he got a clean bill of health after that, and he can still sing, and he went on to perform. And also, as you mentioned earlier, to um, be involved in the Bosnian documentary called Scream for Me, Sarajevo. Yeah. And um, that was made 20 years after the events that happened um, in Sarajevo, and he was made an honorary citizen and received the city's prestigious 6th April Award for his efforts in performing under siege in 1994. Very cool. According to the city's mayor, it was his arrival in Sarajevo that was, quote, one of those moments that made us realize that we will survive. So that's pretty cool, I think. Very cool. Yeah. So there you go. That was his, uh, that's his autobiography. He wanted to tell a good story, and he did. I think um, almost anybody would enjoy this book, especially listening to him read it on audiobook, which is what I did. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you get the, the full flavor of character that way. Uh, uh, although, did you read some of the book to see that the voice still translated to the written page? Yes. Uh-huh. And, and it yeah. does. Okay. Yeah, All but, right. you know, of course he does stuff when he's reading it, like, you know, having the kind of dramatic pauses and, you know, the dry humor really coming through, and you can tell when he's joking and stuff like that. So you uh, you approve of the book, you give it a thumbs up, yeah. you recommend it. I definitely recommend it. it was, I was actually drawn to read it, even though 
I wasn't interested in the musical part of it as much as some of the other books I've read. Mm -hmm. And it was quite accessible, you know, it wasn't really long and it didn't um, kind of focus on topics to such a degree that you got a little bored. He just did a really good job telling a good story, like, and that was his uh, aim, and that's what he wanted to do. So I recommend it. Well, thanks, Shelley. Another great book for people to get to. And I, I thank again our digger, Stephen Rutledge, for uh-huh. recommending it. All right. All right. Well, until the next uh, Rock and Roll Librarian, uh, do, do you have your next book? Oh, my God. Be Still My Beating Heart. You know what it is, Christian. I do. Nick Lowe. Oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, my God. I got the galley uh, from the author, yeah. Will Birch, and uh-huh. I am so excited. I started reading it already while I was finishing up Iron, Iron Maiden. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Nick Lowe is coming up. I'm going to play us out with a song from their last album, 2015's uh, The Book of Souls. Uh, which I, I think kind of works for, uh, you know, where Bruce was. He, he wrote this song and, um, you know, uh, you know, getting cancer and all that. You know, interesting guy. So let's hear Empire of the Clouds. Mist is in the trees. Stone sweats with the dew. The morning sunrise, red before the blue. Hanging at the mast. Waiting for command His Majesty's airship Yaw 101 She's the biggest vessel built by man A giant of the skies For all you unbelievers The Titanic fits inside Drum roll tight, a canvas in Silver in the sun Never tested with Looking for ways to help right the wrongs of social injustice? Oxfam America works with people in more than 90 countries to save lives, develop long-term solutions to poverty, and campaign for social change. And we do it with the help of our friends in the music world. The Beatles were Oxfam supporters back in the day. So were the Stones. And through the years, musicians and music fans have helped Oxfam push hard to work for a just world without poverty. Folks like Radiohead, Coldplay, Pearl Jam, DJ Shadow, and many, many more have encouraged their fans to join the effort. You can too. Go to OxfamAmerica.org to learn how you can help. The Rock and Roll Librarian. Produced and hosted by Christian Swain. Co-host, Shelley Sorensen. All sound design and incidental music by Jerry Danielson. All quotes performed by actors unless noted. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology. <laughs>